I've got this great thing on here. It's, it's a timer. So I've set it to 30 minutes maximum, all right? It could mean nothing at all, mind, but um, I will try and be through before 30 minutes if I can. We're going to be looking in a moment at Acts chapter 1, so if you want to turn there, if you've got a Bible... I've made the mistake several times of putting my sermon notes onto the iPad and then I forget to touch display and brightness and take auto lock off from two minutes to never. And because uh, there have been moments where what I've, what's happened is the, uh, it's that my notes have disappeared and then, unfortunately, when I've panic and turn them back on I lose my place completely so that's why sometimes it might take me longer right come on start right let's go okay so this is my first Sunday and um, I'm excited to be here last Sunday was fantastic by the way Uh, great welcome and thank you very much Liz and I felt really welcomed um, into this particular part of the family. And um, I'm wanting us as a body that when we come together and we look at God's word together, I want us to come with a, a sense of expectation and hope that God is going to say something to us which will be part of a journey that we take together that will transform our lives and transform us as a fellowship to be increasingly more a reflection of who Jesus is. I'm on this journey in my life to become more like Jesus. Um, he's been working a long time on me, all right? There's still lots of rough edges that he's got to sort of get and deal with, but nevertheless, I'm on this journey. And I want to tell you, I know I'm 62 years of age, and I know the fact that I've walked with Jesus for 44 of those years. Um, But the reality for me is that I have been under constant change. In my early days, it was slow progress. In the very first days, it was quick. Then it went slow, slow. Then I had a couple of quick quicks, and then it went slow. And now I'm in a phase where, to be honest with you, the phase I am in ministry is finishing well. And hopefully with you people, I will finish well. All right? if the Lord doesn't return first and take us home. The reason I'm so excited, I love sharing God's word. You know, it it says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That, for some people, is frightening. But it ought to be really encouraging. Because that means God is committed through his word to transforming us more into the likeness of his son Jesus, as it says in Romans chapter 8, that we are being conformed into the likeness of his son. And the more we become conformed into the likeness of his son, the more the impact we can have on the people we meet in our lives, on one another, we, we begin to reflect who Jesus is more and more. 
So it's my prayer, as I said, that as we gather together, that through God's word, we will be challenged, that we will be stretched. I really hope we'll be stretched. You see, when you've been around church a while, there, is, there can be an attitude, and I'm no different to anybody else, that is there a sermon after five years that you haven't really heard? You know, And there's a danger for preachers like me trying to find something catchy and new to try and preach so that I sort of connect and you think, wow. But Paul once said this. He said, it doesn't worry me that I'm saying the same things to you again. Basically, because we need to hear them. We need those things to be put into us. But I hope that we will be stretched, that we will be transformed, that we will reflect more of Jesus in our life. And, you know, our first call isn't to pray a prayer of salvation. It's not to pray a prayer of forgiveness even. The first call from Jesus was not to pray a prayer. It wasn't to join a church. It wasn't to do any of those things. The first call of Jesus was to follow him. Follow him. Come and follow me. Follow me. And in doing that, we become transformed. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe that we talk to God, that we ask God to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from unrighteousness. That's not what I'm saying. But God's first call is to follow him, to be a disciple, a genuine disciple. We have lots of believers, but do we have disciples And I'm doing something at the moment and I'm looking at discipleship and I'm in this place where I'm toying with this idea, you know, is there such a thing as, you know, you believe and then at a later date, if you're a fanatic, you become a disciple? Well, I've decided that there is only one call and that from the beginning is to be a disciple. There is no two-tier system. Be a believer and at a later date, if you really fancy it, get deeply involved. God's call to us, Jesus' call to us is, follow me, be my disciple. So anyway, um, I just today want to set the scene. I'm going to start by speaking. I'm going to speak through some of Acts of the Apostles. My reason for doing that is quite simple. It is um, in terms of... uh, my appointment here, one of the areas that the church uh, leaders have spoken to me about is about the establishment of a formal membership of the church. And uh, I want to speak through some of the bits of the Acts of the Apostles because what's in there actually becomes the, the test for me, if you like, the thing that we would say, uh, what makes someone really part of the body of Christ? What is it? that connects people together, what is it that is vital if we are to become a community of believers and not just people who attend a meeting and call ourselves by a church name? And so I'm going to be spending several weeks in the Acts of the Apostles. From that, we're going to be looking at what we've sung about this morning, about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. What does that mean? They found favor with all the people. That is an amazing statement. At the beginning of Acts, there is addition to the church, but by the end of Acts, we move into multiplication. 
And yet what seems to happen in church life in our country is we move from multiplication when we first start something and we go into addition. We reverse the whole process. Why does that happen? And so I'm going to be trying to talk to you, challenge you. I might leave you with no answers to some things, but just throw something out there, you know, a little incendiary into the room so that you think about something. And that's what I want to do. I want us to really dig deep and dig in and say, what does it mean to be a community of Jesus' disciples in this 21st century? How do we take what we read in the Acts, which is a book which is exciting, and I know that nearly every chapter equates to about a year. It covers around 30, 28, 30 years of church history. But the reality is, I would like a story in closing my ministry which doesn't look out of place in the Acts of the Apostles. I came in, I said last week, I came into ministry in a church where there was a time of what we would call revival, renewal. It was an exciting place to be. There was something happening every week. People got saved, people were being baptized, people were getting healed, you know, and People were just coming off the streets. They were getting saved during the worship. They were getting healed in the worship before anybody laid hands on them. There were also times where people were laying hands on people and they were were being healed and set free from all sorts of things, bondages from the past. And I want to tell you it was exciting, but it ruined me to church. And I genuinely think that that is a story, the church I started in was a story that didn't look out of place in the New Testament. Some of the things I've done subsequently would look terribly out of place. And I don't want, I want to finish with a story that doesn't look out of place. Anyway, let's read together Acts 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them. Notice he didn't ask them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Just so we are clear, we are a Pentecostal church. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We want to see those things in operation amongst us, not as an occasional thing, but as a regular thing. And so I want to encourage you to start waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon the Lord so that you come here and you have waited on the Lord and he can, you know, because of that, you are ready to be used of him in this environment. So when they had come together, we're on verse 6. They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you, and that's another important word, but. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him. Go. The disciples have just spent three, three and a half years with Jesus, following him. They were genuine disciples in terms of they left their nets, they left their tax collecting, and they followed. And they had traveled all over the country with Jesus, listening to him declare the kingdom of God. He had declared that God's rule, God's reign was coming and and was there amongst people. And he did signs and wonders and all sorts of things, healing people, making bread and fish go far beyond whatever you could imagine. Imagine being part of that. How exciting. I tell you, there's a bit of me wishes I'd been around and was one of those guys who was called at that time. Because that must have been a real buzz. I used to be a fireman at one time. I spent my time putting out fires and I left being a fireman to go into the ministry to start them. And the reality for me is this. It must have been, I used to hate not being at work in case they had a good fire and I missed it. Why? Because the adrenaline buzz from running into a fire when everybody's running in the other direction is absolutely phenomenal. Now, that doesn't mean I went around starting fires, by the way. All right? I did once in my life. I'll tell you that on another occasion. Next door neighbor upset me before I was a minister. I was a young man of about 15. Um, actually, I will tell you, she sent the police round because she accused me of attempted murder. So, um, and I was so upset, I threw a match in her hedge, but forgot that it was tinder dry. And the hedge just went up in flames. And my mum was ill, and she came out getting buckets of water, throwing it on this, on this hedge. And I was saying, the only thing I could remember from science was spontaneous combustion. So I told her that it must have been spontaneous combustion, you know. So I'm not into starting fires. That's the only fire I've ever started. But being a fireman, it was exciting. Being a disciple of Jesus was exciting. It wasn't boring, It wasn't mundane. I mean, I suppose walking from place to place might have been a bit mundane in all that heat, getting dusty, sleeping on the side of the road, I would imagine. Having been to Israel, it's a long way from Galilee to Jerusalem, so they must have had to at least some nights sleep out under the stars. But on the whole, going into towns and and villages and casting out demons, healing the sick... I mean, wow, what a place to be. I would have hung out. It was, must have been fantastic. But these guys, having had such this introduction to Jesus, they've not long seen their Messiah, the one that they've come to at least, at, to some degree, recognize that he is the Messiah. He is the expected one. All of a sudden, 
All that disappears. Jesus is taken. Jesus is arrested. He's beaten. He has a crown of thorns thrust on his brow and he has a, a robe thrown over his shoulders. He, he is lashed on his back until his strength is almost gone and then they, they put this cross on him that he has to, 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 to take on, on his shoulders and try and make his way to where they're going to drive nails through his hands and his feet and nail him cruelly to a cross. And I've walked up, as they call it, the, I can't remember, it's something Della Rosa, it's the, the what? Via Della Rosa. I've walked up it and it is tight. And I could imagine we had a cart rammed into the back of us while we're trying to negotiate loads and loads of people. And at this time, when Jesus was crucified, there would have been thousands of people in Jerusalem. And I could just picture Jesus trying to make his way through the crowd, stepping up the steps up the Via Della Rosa, trying to get there. And I'm not surprised he stumbled and fell. I'm not surprised. But they've just had Jesus taken. They've gone. Even though they, they, they sort of hid away, we know that some of the disciples were there when Jesus cried, it is finished. And I actually think for some of those disciples, when Jesus was taken down, laid in a tomb, and they rolled the stone across the opening, they thought he had made a declaration not about his work of salvation but about it is finished and all of a sudden all their hopes all their dreams all the excitement is gone then on the first day of the week you know the story first day of the week Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb she's wondering how on earth am I going to get in and when she gets there, the tomb is empty. It is open. It's empty. She even has that amazing moment where she turns around thinking Jesus is the gardener. And she says to, where, where have they taken my Lord? Where have they laid him? Please tell me. And he says one word. Remember the person I spoke to this morning? He said, Mary. And she knew him immediately. Rabboni. She goes off, Peter and John. In fact, she gets Peter and John before that encounter. But she goes and gets Peter and John. They run to the tomb. I get the impression John gets there first and Peter, because he's impetuous, piles into the tomb. As a good look around, it's empty. And all you hear about that after that is they must have walked back to where they come from, a bit bemused. And then it says in the later part of John, it says, on the first evening of the, or the evening of the first day of the week, they were together locked behind closed doors because of fear of the Jews. Jesus had appeared to. Mary. I got a feeling the guys from Emmaus might have got back there. It's a possibility. They'd met with Jesus, hadn't they? And then Jesus appears in the middle of the room. Another thing just to say to you, God never stays on the outside of your situation. They were in there in fear and trembling. 
Jesus didn't stand at the door going, it's all right, guys, don't worry about it. He appeared in the middle of the room, and his first words were, peace be with you. And he say that into your situation this morning, peace be with you. So they've got this situation. Jesus is risen. Then he's appearing all over the place. 500 people in one occasion he appears to. Wow. That's pretty undeniable that 500 people on one occasion see Jesus. He appeared to 11. He appeared to 2. He appeared to 7 by the sea where he cooked them breakfast and he restored Peter. He, he, he showed himself to different sized groups of people. It was him. He was alive. Wow. Things are getting exciting again. It's getting good. But now, beginning of Acts, end of Luke, that's Dr. Luke's first book. Acts is Dr. Luke, the sequel, number two. Luke ends... And Acts begins at the same place. Jesus is leaving. They are being left. Just some quick things, because I've only got 10 minutes, one second. These are the things I want you to notice. First, Jesus has spent time speaking to them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. You see, being a follower of Jesus isn't about believing in him it's about submitting to his kingship and his rule and his reign in our lives you can believe in Jesus as much as you like but if you will not bow the knee to him if you will not submit to him and his ways the result is being honest with you you're on a losing ticket the devil believes in Jesus so believing in Jesus is not enough do you want to radically follow him The word revolution again from that hymn. Send your fire, send and start a revolution. Are you wanting a revolution in your life? Are you wanting a revolution in the church? I've got four and a half years, five years to go. I want a revolution. I don't have what I had when I was 20 and going into the ministry. I don't have that length of time. I know that I will not finish when I'm 67 in terms of I won't give up opportunities to speak, but I'm not going to be probably in the position of leading a congregation again. And I want to say to you, I never will preach anything to you to batter you. All right, I promise you that. If I tell you something, it's because I genuinely love you and I want you to experience everything that God has for you. I don't want you to finish your, your life and think, well, what was Christianity really all about? I want you, on that day, before you meet the Lord, when you close your eyes for that last time, I want you to think back over your life and I want you to think, God, that was great. Yeah, there were some tough bits in it, but God, that was great. The kingdom of God is central and paramount. It is submitting to the rule and reign of God. That's what it's about. The gospel that Jesus preached was the gospel of the kingdom. Gospel means good news. Kingdom means there's a king in charge. 
and he has a sphere of influence, rule and reign. And it's only where he has influence that his kingdom resides. You might not like that because we all know that we can be guilty sometimes of resisting him. But I want to say to you, seriously, the good news of the kingdom, what does the kingdom bring? The kingdom brings peace. The kingdom brings hope. The kingdom, the Bible says, brings joy. The kingdom brings transformation. The kingdom brings freedom. Even though the submission and bowing the knee to a king, at one level you think, I am under someone else's authority. How can I be free? Because when we bow the knee to the king of kings, we find what true freedom is. And therefore, we're going to be looking and trying to find and dig out gems around the kingdom of God. So that's number one. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit. We want to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't want to get into the debate whether you think you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation and there's an overflow, or whether there's two distinct moments. I'm going to be honest with you, I ain't got a clue. All right, just honestly, don't think it really matters. I know that when I get saved, God's Spirit does a work in me and seals me for the day of redemption. Therefore, there is, a, there is something that happens with the Holy Spirit in my life of the day I surrender to him or surrender to Jesus as my king and my master. But for me, there is definitely a second type of, call it experience, I don't know what word to use, but there is something else that happens and it's consistent for me with Scripture. Jesus is led by the Spirit, returns in the power of the Spirit. David is anointed king. He then, 15 years later, lives in his anointing. I think there is something there that says that there is something that happens. I'm not saying it should, it should be 15 years, but, um, you know... The reality is that there is something there. So I believe that there is something, the overflow, call it the overflow of the Spirit in our life, that it just bubbles up within us and it overflows in our lives and joy comes. So we're looking for folk to be filled with the Spirit. I'm not an initial evidence man, so if there are initial evidence people here, which is speaking in tongues, you'll have to forgive me. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree, all right? But I am that there are signs. So if I see in the Acts of the Apostles, they spoke with other tongues and they prophesied. Now, whether the tongues came first and prophecy came afterwards, I don't know. Got to be honest. But I know that something discernible happens when folk are filled with the Spirit, like on the day of Pentecost. Everyone heard them talking and declaring the praises of God in their own language. I know that there is something discernible that takes place. So, you will be baptized. The interesting word in that verse of Scripture is in verse 4, and while he was staying with them, he ordered them, 
not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. Wait. Waiting implies expectation. You don't just wait for nothing, you wait for something. And so, folk, we have to develop a posture of active waiting. Active waiting. Because it's not happening doesn't mean that nothing is happening in the spiritual realm. Do you remember Daniel? When his prayer, when there's the breakthrough, after 21 days, the angel says to him, from the first day you began to pray, I was on my way, but it has taken me this period of time to get there because there was a battle in the heavenly realms that he had to deal with. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There is a spiritual realm that needs to be dealt with. And so we're going to learn to actively wait on God so we are ready for him. We should be actively waiting for his return because I know that there are lots of people who want to work out exactly when he's returning. I'm not sure why people want to do that unless they want to live their life how they like up to the very last minute, change their status and then beam me up, you know, just like the Star Trek Enterprise. The reality is we should be living in the expectation of Christ's return at any moment. Before the end of this service, are you ready? Are you ready? Are we living in a way that makes us ready? So we should be actively waiting. I've got one minute, 30 seconds. Sorry to keep telling you that. Um, So we're waiting, actively waiting. I want to point out to you from this first chapter too that the disciples, despite having had all their hopes dashed, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead they still reverted back to what they were expecting previously. Because in verse 6 they say, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They went right back to where they had been prior to him being crucified. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times. That's the time the Father's fixed. But... But is an important word in this. My mum always told me but was a bad word to use. You know, I made a mistake once. I I entitled a sermon, How Big Is Your Butt? (laughs) And when it went out, everybody was laughing, and I didn't know why they were laughing. That was the problem. And so I repeated it. Um, But, but... So don't worry yourself, basically, about that. That's not the important issue, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. With this, I will be closing. You will receive power. Power. How many of you feel that you have received power? to be witnesses. You will know if you have because 
you will be sharing Jesus with people. You will be sharing Jesus with people. You're not battering them to death. You're not banging them over the head. But you'll be sharing Jesus with people. Because you've been empowered. Power to be my witnesses. Power so that your lives will be transformed. Power so that you will be able to follow him with courage and bow the knee and submit. Because despite the fact that Jesus asks us to bow the knee and submit, he makes us able to do it if we will avail ourselves of what he gives to us. Power. The reason I want to speak out of the Acts of the Apostles is because those things for me, the kingdom of God, the baptism in the Holy Spirit, powerful witness, we are called. Somebody will no doubt ask me what my vision is for the church at some point. I don't want to disappoint you. I've come up with, in all the churches I've ever led, I've come up with catchy strap lines, catchy vision statements. And when I cut it and I see what the Bible says, it's be a witness to me. Tell people what I've done for you. Make disciples of people. So that they see something in us that makes them want to follow the same man. The same God-man. The same Messiah. The same Jesus. So, a strap line. I haven't got one. I have actually got one. I won't share it with you today, though. You might come back next week then and want to find out what it is. Um, But genuinely, folk, I just am hungry for the move of God. I, I, I am fed up of doing church for church so I can have a good old sing-song. I love worship, don't get me wrong. But worship isn't having a good old sing-song. Worship is where God breaks in, where we give him everything we've got, where we bow the knee, present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your spiritual act of worship. We can sing all the songs in the world, but if we don't bow the knee, our worship is nothing. Because it isn't just about the words that come out of our mouth.